Well, I invite you all to turn with me in your Bibles to Judges chapter 8. We'll be looking at a few passages from Judges 8 as well as 9. And if you want to follow along in the back section of your worship guide, there's a note section there as well. Uh, last week, we began looking at the, uh, the uh, accounts of Gideon in chapter 6 and 7 of Judges. Saw that he lacked uh, confidence He lacked also an understanding really of who God was and who God could be in his uh, life. And that he also was a person who really needed uh, signs, constant reminders from God that God was working in his life. Uh, He eventually learned to begin to rely upon God. And God made sure that he learned that lesson loud and clear by taking the forces that he went out with against the Midianites from uh, from 30,000 down to 10,000, down to just 300. And we saw that uh, Gideon uh, demonstrated significant skill militarily, but of course, ultimately, uh, with such small numbers against such a great force, the glory all was to go to God for that victory. So we saw that last week. This week, as we read our verses, and there'll be names and places and so forth that are uh, unfamiliar to us, but what we'll see is a pretty clear message. How Gideon, like us often, goes from being doubtful to incredibly prideful. Goes from uncertainty to vanity. Goes from being weak-kneed to very big-headed. And we see how that plays out in his life in these verses with a, a sort of bitter anger that's demonstrated in his life. We'll see how it plays out in a vacillating back and forth between his commitment to God and really wandering away from God. And ultimately, we'll see it as well in the devastation that comes upon his family and really the people of God as a consequence of his uh, going to this prideful place beginning to trust in his own abilities. So for us today, if, if anger, bitterness, if a wavering in our obedience, if maybe some family dysfunction are things that resonate, that are part of the story of our lives as well, we'll find some really helpful truth for us. And we'll be challenged, I hope, to remember that God's grace is at work and can do a work of transformation in us in those places. And also, ultimately, that as we struggle and fall, as Gideon did, God's grace is that thing that can pick us back up and restore us as well. So read along with me as I read aloud. Uh, We will look at Genesis chapter 8, verses uh, 1 through 9, and then 13 through 21. And we'll we'll pop in and and look at a couple other sections as we go through the message. Otherwise, it'd it'd probably be too much right off the bat for us to all keep in our our minds. Judges chapter 8, verses 1 and following. So then the men of Ephraim said to Gideon, What is this that you've done to us? Not to call us when you went to fight Midian. They accused him fiercely. And he said to them, what have I done now in comparison with you? Is not the gleaning of the grapes of Ephraim better than the grape harvest of Ebezer? God has given into your hands the princes of Midian, Oreb and Zeb. What have I been able to do in comparison with you? Then their anger against him subsided. And he said this, when he said this, 
And Gideon came to the Jordan and crossed over. He and 300 men who were with him, exhausted, yet pursuing. So he said to the men of Sukkoth, Please give loaves of bread to the people who follow me. For they're exhausted, and I'm pursuing after Zeba and Zalmunna, the kings of Midian. The officials of Sukkoth said, Are the hands of Zeba and Zalmunna already in your hand that we should give bread to your army? Gideon said, Well then, when the Lord has given Zeba and Zalmunna into my hand, I'll flail your flesh with the thorns of the wilderness and with briars. From there he went up to Penuel and spoke to them in the same way. And the men of Penuel answered him as the men of Succoth had answered. And again he said to the men of Penuel, When I come again in peace, I'll break down this tower. And verses 10 through 12 tell of him catching up with Zeba and Zalmunna. And then verse 13, after he has captured them, Gideon, then Gideon, the son of Joash, returned from the battle of the ascent of Heres, and he captured a young man of Succoth and questioned him. And he wrote down for him the officials and elders of Succoth, 77 men. And he came to the men of Succoth and said, Behold, Zeba and Zalmunna, about whom you taunted me, saying, Are the hands of Zeba and Zalmunna in your hand already that we should give bread to the men who are exhausted? And he took the elders of the city, took thorns of the wilderness and briars with them and taught them, taught the men of Sukkoth a lesson. He broke down the tower of Penuel, killed the men of that city. Then he said to Zeba and Zalmunna, where are the men whom you killed at Tabor? They answered, as you are, so were they. Every one of them resembled the son of a king. And he said, they were my brothers, the sons of of my mother. As the Lord lives, if you had saved them alive, I would not kill you. So he said to Jether, his firstborn, rise and kill them. But the young man did not draw his sword, for he was afraid because he was still a young man. Then Zeba and Zalmunna said, rise yourself and fall upon us, for as the man is, so is his strength. And Gideon rose, killed Zeba and Zalmunna, took the crescent ornaments, that were on the necks of their camels. Let's pray together. Father, be our teacher. Guide us in your truth and help us to grow in you through it. We pray during this time in Jesus name. Amen. Well, if you're familiar with the ancient story from Greek mythology of Icarus, it tells and conveys a message of how easily need and weakness can turn into pride and fall. Icarus and his father Daedalus, if you remember the story, were imprisoned on an island in the Mediterranean somewhere. Daedalus was a skilled craftsman, so he fashioned some wings with wax on their arms and feathers stuck into them. For himself and for his son. Daedalus uh, tried the wings first, but then decided before they would fly out together and seek to make their escape, he'd give some specific instructions to his son, reminding him not to go too close to the water, lest the wings get wet, and especially not to go too high, lest the wax melt under the heat of the sun. And at all times, 
to stay right in the flight path of his father, to stay right with him. If you remember the story, Icarus takes off and is overcome with the giddiness of it and his incredible abilities he now has, and he forgets how he got where he is. And he goes too high, the wax melting those wings so that he had nothing but his bare arms and fell into the ocean. We look at the story of Gideon in our verses today. We see really this main truth come into life, and you can follow along in your worship guide if you would like to. This main idea that when we forget the grace of God that has gotten us where we are, when we lose sight of that, when it fades out of our memory, we tend to turn away from God and leave brokenness in our path. Isn't that what we see with Gideon in the verses for today? We'll read a couple others that display it even more fully. But I think uh, Michael Wilcox's comments about these verses are right on target. That with Gideon, we have a case of someone like maybe we see in our own lives where we need to beware of the gifts of the Spirit without the fruit of the Spirit. Does that make sense? Gideon's given this uh, ability, uh, or he has some ability that the Lord unearths within him and gives him power to use. We might say that gives him confidence to use. But at any rate, there's a skill set that he demonstrates, something that he's able to accomplish and achieve. And yet the character to handle it, the maturity in his relationship with God doesn't allow him to handle it in a very good way. I like what uh, Tim Keller says in his study on Judges. Again, this is in your worship guide and it'd be great to turn there if you haven't already in the, the notes section. He, he mentions how forgetting God, how losing sight of God's grace and that it's his power that has gotten us where we are. He mentions how that can affect our lives, can really seep in in some significant ways. He says one of the things that can happen is forgetting God leads to anxiety. So that we start to to say this, we say, if I slip up, if I make a wrong move here, I could lose everything. It reminds us that the answer to that is remembering who God is, how we got to where we are, that God loves me enough to lose his own son for me. So surely he will continue to go before me and give me what I need and that we should console ourselves with that in times of anxiety. He notes how forgetting God can also lead to guilt, right? We've all probably experienced that as well. We say, I've, I've blown it. Therefore, God must have abandoned me. I've forgotten God, and so he must have forgotten me. The answer, he says, is to remember that God accepted me a long time ago, and he knew even this thing that I would do. He's with me now. We can be confident in God's love for us. He says forgetting God can also lead to a sort of spiritual and life boredom or laziness with the things of God. This is where we say, sure, sure, God's God's given me a lot of good things, but I'm used to them. So what? You know, we forget how wonderful the things are that God has given to us. Uh, How do we respond to that? We remember that even to know Christ, even to be able to be in a saving relationship with the Lord of the universe, 
That's a miracle in each one of our lives, really. And that we should be in wonder. And then lastly, and this leads into a couple of points I want to touch on today. He says that forgetting God can lead to a sort of bitterness and anger. I don't know if you ever connect those dots in in your life. I don't know that I do a good job of connecting the dots for me in those places of bitterness and anger. But isn't this really what's happening? We say, I'm not getting what I deserve. People around me aren't treating me the way that I should be. The answer that God gives to us is that if God gave each one of us what we really deserved, we'd be dead and in hell and that we ought to humble ourselves then. Well, let's look at a couple of ways this forgetting God and forgetting God's grace affects the life of Gideon. And maybe these will relate to us as well. In verses 1 through 21, I think you'll follow along. Ephraim There's this tribe that's very strong and has a lot of ability and so forth. And Gideon didn't invite them to the party. He didn't invite them to come and help fight. And they weren't going to come fight anyway, even if he had invited them. But now it's all over and you've been there. You've had relationships like this. The spoils are already at hand. And they say, why didn't you call us? Why didn't you pick up the phone and let us know that we were going to have all this free stuff? Now we want to be a part of things. They're late to the game and they're insulting Gideon. Now he kind of restrains himself. He sort of rebukes them back in those first few verses. But then he starts to lose it as he gets to Penuel and Sukkoth. You saw it in the verses that we read today. They're clearly taunting him. They're basically saying, hey, you have not caught the two Z's yet. You don't have them in your possession. It was luck that you won those other battles. So they insult his skill and his military achievements. And so what's his response? Because he's forgetting God, that God was the one who got him there in the first place. He can't show grace to these people. The bitterness, the anger wells up in him. He said, I'm going to come back and beat you down, basically. I'm going to knock your tower over. There's even a little irony there. He says, when I come in peace, I'll knock down this place. Kind of a little bit of an irony in the passage. So we see this playing out in the life of Gideon. And don't we see it playing out in our own lives as well? Think about it for for your life and for mine. How often uh, how often do we find that the the wrongful treatment we show others really flows out of the fact that we're taking God's grace in our own life for granted? We've concluded we deserve something. We have some kind of position. And anybody that insults us or tries to push that away from us all of a sudden elicits some kind of bitterness and anger. And isn't it interesting that Gideon, of all people, is coming down on these folks? Now, granted, they should have jumped on and come and fought the battle. That's what the people of God were supposed to do. But wasn't it just a chapter before that Gideon was sitting around saying, I'm not I can't go fight. I'm not from the right tribe. Show me some signs. Oh, show me another one. Oh, show me a third one. And then maybe I'll come. And yet Gideon drops the hammer on these two places and all the people in them because they're hesitant in the same way that he just was. He's forgetting where he came from and where God has brought him. The question for us is, where are those places in our life where we kind of feel like we deserve something? Maybe we've achieved something. Maybe God's given us some success and it's started to go into our mind and we've forgotten the God part of the success and just thinking about the success changes the way we treat people around us, maybe leads to bitterness 
and anger. Second thing we see in our verses. If you look with me at verse 22, I'll read this passage now. So this will be fresh material for us in in uh, chapter eight of Judges. Read along with me verses 22 through 28 and see if you don't see some bizarre spiritual schizophrenia coming into the life of Gideon as he again is forgetting who God is. Verse 22. Then the men of Israel said to Gideon, rule over us, you and your son and your grandson also, for you've saved us from the hand of Midian. (laughs) Sounds like a a sweet deal. And Gideon did do all these things. I, I took only 300 people to go do it. We want you and also the generations after you. Well, you know, why doesn't Gideon jump on it? Look at verse 23. Gideon said to them, I will not rule over you and my son will not rule over you. The Lord will rule over you. Right on target. Right. That's what he ought to say. That's what it says elsewhere. Even in first Samuel, when the people are asking for a king and they God says, really, it's supposed to be the Lord who's your king. So look to the Lord as your king. This is what Gideon is saying here. He's right on target. Look at verse 24, how quickly things change when we start to forget the grace of God that got us where we are. And Gideon said to them, let me make a request of you. Every one of you give me the earrings from the spoil. And they gather all of these things together, all of this gold. And then jump down with me to verse 27. Gideon made an ephod. You know what an ephod is? It's like a uh, it's like a breastplate, backplate, sort of uh, almost looks like a, an armor sort of thing. But it's it's a uh, it symbolized holiness and the priest would wear it. This one is all decorated with all this gold he's collected and these uh, gems and so forth on them. So it's something you would kind of wear, especially the priest would wear. So they created this thing. They built it. They put it together. And it says in verse 27, and all Israel hoard prostituted, was unfaithful to God after it, and it became a snare to Gideon and to his family. Isn't that amazing? The schizophrenia that's right there, he's kind of like to me a picture of Peter when Peter is asking, the disciples are asking, who is Christ? And, And Peter steps up and says, you're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. That's who you are, Jesus. And he just he cranks it out of the back of the park. Just hits a home run. You've got it exactly right. And not two or three verses later in the Bible, Jesus starts talking about the pathway of his salvation and how he's going to be the Christ. And he says, it's going to come through suffering. I'm going to die. I'm going to lay down my life. And Peter starts doing the math. Oh, I'm following this guy. Doesn't sound good for me. Peter says, No, no, that's not the way you're going to do it, Jesus. I'm the one that knows the plan. And Jesus says, get thee behind me, Satan. It's almost the same kind of sort of just losing sight, losing perspective. On the one hand, Gideon's able to boldly, you know, sort of profess his faith, say the Lord is the Lord and I'm not going to be your king. The Lord is going to be your king. And on the other hand, he's going and bowing down. He had just a chapter earlier tore down all of the idols that his family was worshiping. Now he's created another one. Isn't this unbelievable? It's unbelievable. And yet it's true for you and me, isn't it? Don't we go through the same thing? 
as we have those seasons, have those times where we forget who God is and what He's done in our lives, and then uh, on the one hand we're professing things and we know things in our mind, but this distance from here down to here becomes very, very far. And all of a sudden we're turning aside, turning away to the idols that we worship. See the same thing in our own lives. We don't have time probably this morning to look in depth at the last part of this chapter 8 or the first part of 6, but I'll just tell you what happens there. One of the things Gideon does, and we see this all starting to pour over into his family, he had multiple wives, which wasn't prescribed in the Bible, but wasn't uncommon, and so he had 70 uh, children. And then he also had a child, Abimelech, by a concubine. And again, this was not uncommon practice in the ancient world. You read about it in the Bible, but just about every time you read about it in the Bible, it's a bad thing. The child by the concubine is a bad thing. And sure enough, that's what happens in this case. Where Gideon had said, I'm not going to be king and lord, and then turned around in the next breath out of his mouth, he's bowing down to this ephod, this idol. Here his son by the concubine decides he's going to be king after Gideon's gone. And he takes it by violence, by killing all 70 of Gideon's other sons. And eventually, justice circles back around on Abimelech's head, literally, as well as a woman drops a heavy stone on him and kills him. But we see this picture of a brokenness of dysfunction. And yet, interesting, let me let you look at one more verse as we close. Interesting, in Judges chapter 8. Judges chapter 8, look back with me at verse 28. In the midst of all of this, in the midst of Gideon's wandering and and really not staying on track, verse 28, so Midian was subdued before the people of Israel. They raised their heads no more, and the land had rest 40 years in the days of Gideon. God's still showing grace and kindness to them. God's still choosing to show mercy to them, even though they've turned away from him. And it reminds me as we think of Gideon and think back to when we first got introduced to Gideon in chapter six, how God came and appeared. God came down in the form of an angel and appeared to Gideon. And he, he understood that he began to understand God's power that could be at work in his life. And now later on, he's forgetting it. He's becoming prideful and he's forgotten it. But it points me, it makes me think of Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. And how it is that our salvation comes to us and the response that we should have. It says there in Philippians 2 that our attitude, so how we think, how we believe about ourselves, should be the same as that of Christ Jesus who, though in the form of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, to hold on to. He's willing to let go of some of those prerogatives to come down, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant. And it being found in appearance of as a man, he humbled himself, became obedient to death, even death on a cross. And that therefore God has highly exalted him given him the name that's above every name. And you remember the rest of this passage that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven and earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. What a picture. What a picture of how God shows us mercy, shows us grace, even though we tend to lift ourselves up and think too highly of ourselves and think we've achieved what we have in life or in spiritual things. 
by our own power, he reminds us that the way he came and saved us is by giving up some of the things he had so that he could come down to where we were and reach us with his hope and with his love that we might be transformed. Let's pray together. Father, we are incredibly thankful for the message of your word through and through, a testimony of your grace and how even when we forget you, you remember us. We thank you for the way that that's displayed. And we pray, Lord, that you'd really give us conviction in those places in our life where we're forgetting you and it's leading to some real bitterness and anger and pride sense of self-sufficiency, Lord, help us to look at those areas where maybe you've, you, the blessings come from you and we've forgotten it. We think it's come from us. Father, help us with that, we pray. Lord, we pray for those areas of our life where we're schizophrenic in terms of our understanding of you and, and how you call us to live. And on one hand, something's coming out of our mouth that's right on target and the next thing we turn and, and we're way off track, Lord. We pray that you help us to be people of integrity, of of oneness, of uniformity in, in who you call us to be. Father, we uh, pray as well for the way that these things tend to spin out and bring brokenness into the lives of our family, the lives of our community around us, just as they did with Gideon. And Lord, in all these things, we're so grateful that you sent the Lord Jesus to be a perfect redeemer, a perfect servant, a perfect savior who humbled himself, who went low so that we might be lifted up. Help us remember what he did for us that we might walk with you more faithfully. In Jesus' name, amen.